1: What is up? We are back. It is the Selby is Godcast with TJ Zuppi, Zach Meisel, and it's brought to you, as always, by The Athletic Cleveland. So we apologize because we weren't here last week with you guys, and so hopefully everyone got to relive the... The the failures of the parking garage and mm. what reporters look like as they film players for a second straight week. Quick little uh, insertion here: Terry Francona does not like
0: when reporters stick phones in his face. He admitted that to us uh, last week. He he's not he understands we have a job to do, but he said it's
1: weird, it's awkward. That was nice to hear. You remember a couple years ago in spring training. Bart Swain, the PR director for the Indians, kind of just runs the show. Um, He set up tape in the spring training interview room where if you had a phone that you intended to use to film uh, Terry or to film a player who would come into that room, you had to be behind the line because otherwise you were just way too close. So that's a thing. It's really a thing and as much as I know a few people said, I only care about the meat and potatoes of this podcast. I only want to hear about what's going on with the team. That's fair and there's a lot of that on this podcast but as I've said to you, Zach, I feel like this is also a podcast that we discuss things on the beat. This is as much a podcast about what's going on behind the scenes as it is what's happening on the field and I have no apologies for that and so if that makes this podcast not for you there are a hundred different podcasts that only talk meat and potatoes.
0: We are 90 seconds in and you
1: are basically flipping the middle finger to some of our listeners. I am here to tell you what's happening behind the scenes at Progressive Field as we're in the midst of people walking through and preparing the ballpark. We want to give you the sights and sounds from behind the curtain. Look, I like meat, I like potatoes, but I love dessert. I
0: want that extra stuff. I want that sugar that no one else can give you. I, we enjoyed a very nice weekend off. I I hope you had a great trip to Baltimore. Grill out for the first time this year that? last night. Uh, it was like 70 degrees and sunny for a minute or two, and we had meat. We didn't have potatoes, but then uh, got ice cream with the uh, wife and her family. So it, it's I can never turn down ice cream. So meat, potatoes, and dessert. That's Sugar what cookies.
1: We, that's what we give you here. Sugar cookies here this year at Progressive Field have been out of this world. So I think for as much as we have talked about the press dining here, I think it is. Responsible for us to talk about the other side of this, which is they've done a good job with the cookies. I'll get back
0: to you after I have Taco <laughs> Tuesday tonight. We'll see if that meat is actual meat or if
1: it's... I don't know. Well, that was just to filter out everybody else that was only concerned about that. Now for the rest Let's of you Let's talk exit stayed, velocity and pitch mix and... <laughs> Let's talk about why we didn't podcast last week. It's because you were in Puerto Rico. Uh, for a portion of that trip, well, really half of the trip, there was no power on the island. Uh, so some things that made podcasting challenging, but I want to start off there. Just to, some of your experiences there. Um, I know I read your stuff at The Athletic, and I'm sure everybody else did as well, and that gave us some good behind the scenes uh, views of what happened down in Puerto Rico in San Juan but uh, what was that experience like? Well, First of all
0: I had no idea the power was out across the island. We were interviewing Roberto Perez on the veranda of the Indians team hotel and beautifully sunny super windy but like you see the waves of the ocean behind you like you're in paradise. And I just, during this, I just happened to look at my phone and our our editor, Ron, had texted me, you okay? And I'm thinking like, no, oh, maybe he just means like everything work-wise, going how you had hoped and stuff like that. I didn't really think much of it. And then my sister sent me a string of texts. I think it was something about Ariana Grande. And, like, I just, like, skimmed it really quick. And there were, like, four of them. And then there was a follow-up text by her that said, Oh, wait, you don't have power, do you? And I was so confused. But, like, I can't do research while, you know, this is going on. So I waited and then discovered that the, the island was out of power. And, one, it's a sobering reminder that the people there, even though it's been seven months now still have a lot to a lot that needs to be fixed they still need a lot of help and two that you know it's it's interesting how much we rely on technology that you you go without it for 10 minutes and like you don't know that this crisis is happening all around you so um you know the good thing for us knock on wood is our hotel had power the Indian's hotel had power they made sure the ballpark had power and that they could play that game. And, and I know a lot of people said, "You know, why is why is that a priority? Why are you putting baseball above these people's lives?" And, and really, these games were scheduled before the hurricane hit. Like, let's not forget that. And, and baseball has done so much to help. Since the hurricane happened, and you just you could tell from being there, it meant a lot to people, and it was a chance to escape. You know, people didn't have power, but they were able to get to the ballpark, and I'm sure you guys heard it on TV or wherever you were watching. It was like a party in the stands and it's just it allowed people to get away for that night like five and a half hours and you know play maracas in the stands and and cheer on lindor and perez and barrios and eddie rosario and um i think that meant a lot and it also brought in money ticket sales yeah. and
1: concessions and all that there's so. clear i mean there there was a lot of people that made a lot of of life decisions, life-altering decisions to get there, to be there. And, you know, it's difficult to speak on others' behalf. I'm I'm sure not everybody felt like that was a priority on that island. But for a lot of people, it it was a big thing. And I'm sure there... there were a lot of people that would have been upset had that game not taken place and as you said it meant so much to the people that were down there and you could you could just see that reflective through the television broadcast and I'm sure for you being there firsthand. so I I know it was a decision that they they didn't take lightly to, to decide to play that to not play that they wanted to be respectful to those that didn't have power and maybe didn't view it as a priority and those that clearly did and Looking back on it now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the, the smarter decision won out. And if nothing else, it brings it brings more attention to to that island being one that still needs some help. And and they're not going to be able to rebuild without some generosity of others. And maybe that doesn't maybe you know it helps to have the spotlight there on Puerto Rico, if even for five hours, as you say, um, through that to bring light to the devastation that's still there and the that work that still needs to be done. And for five hours, it was a nice escape for everyone.
0: So, you know, we go on these road trips and so many of them are unremarkable. Like, we go to Detroit three times a year and Chicago and KC and it's like, at this point, you just sleepwalk through it. You know, it's it's you drive up to Detroit, stop at Mercury Burger Bar, go to your hotel and check in go to the ballpark next day you go to Slow's barbecue third day you drive home and it's it's just like like it's the same thing every time and so it's gotten to a point where like this trip was i keep using the word eye-opening when i write about it but it was it was the first time in a long time where i went on a, a road trip and came away like like some of that stuff was really moving, and, and like the the trip to the visit to Francisco Lindor's elementary school was incredible. And um, to see the faces of 250 kids as as he walks in there, uh, just be a hero. And you don't realize, you know, we I don't want to get into a political argument, but we wonder like, you know, we talk so much about how athletes share their opinions more than ever, and and how they're role models and stuff like that, but. You don't realize the impact that they can have on a younger generation. And, and even, like, the principal of the school, who was probably, like, 35 years old, couldn't stop crying. Like, it was incredible. And these kids had made, the previous week, they, all they did was spent time making science projects and English projects that were all were all revolved around Lindor. And so, you know, he, he goes and he, he, like, helps them through clinics for... Baseball clinics for a half hour, forty-five minutes, and like spends ten seconds with each kid. Throws each kid a couple pitches and underhand, and they hit it. And it's like he spent ten seconds with that kid, but that kid is going to remember that the rest of their life. And like it's, I don't know, it's it's incredible. And and just to see the difference in how that school looked to how schools look here, where we grew up. I mean, it's it's crazy. And I think the coolest part was. You know, this is all happening on this back baseball field um, behind the school, and we're taking pictures, we're kind of watching everyone interact, and uh, it's, it's, all that is great within itself, and then Jordan Bastion takes a photo of this old lady who's standing behind a fence just watching, and she calls him over and he thinks, well shit, she's gonna yell at me for taking her picture. She starts spewing Spanish at him, he doesn't understand a word. He calls me over, I know a little bit, he wanted me to help translate and she is, thank you, she is, had just turned 80 years old and had lived next door to the school since before the school was built. And her grandkids went to school with Lindor, um, and she was saying how, like, there's no way he'll remember who I am, but of course I remember who he is, and it's like, someone who's who's 80 years old who probably has never watched an Indians game, and yet, like, Lindor is, this is a huge deal, him coming back here. Um, It's just, it's crazy, and, and it made me wonder, like, a few different things. One... It would be cool if every player did this at some point. Two, what the hell would it be like if Trevor Bauer went back? <laughs> like, would he try to rewrite the fourth grade teacher's curriculum or something like that? <laughs> I mean, like, um, but it, it's just an eye opening thing that it's nice that the platform these guys have allows them to be able to make that sort of difference with kids who, you know, maybe you didn't have confidence in your ability and all your classmates are better at you on the baseball field but Lindor tossed you a pitch underhand and you smoked it and like that's going to give you all the confidence in the world now i don't know it was just it was it was really cool and and you don't see that when you make a road trip to detroit or kansas city for the third time and it's august and it's 95 degrees outside and you know the indians are up 20 games in the division and it doesn't mean much it's it's this was this was different and i know a lot of people said it should have been exhibition games i kind of disagree i think this should be
1: something that's more frequently. Yeah, I, th- I think it had to be meaningful. It had to to not just be the event. It had to be the games meaning something, too. And that's what made that home run just oh, yeah. out, out of this world extraordinary. Because it, it was not a shock. I mean, we've seen Lindor come up in these huge situations. We've seen him come up in regular season games and win it. We've seen in, in the ALDS against the Yankees come up with a huge grand slam. Of course, he's, he shines in those huge moments. And it's not every moment, but he has a knack for doing that. So to see him do that in puerto rico was not shocking at all and it kind of speaks to how amazing you know of of a player he's become that that that's not shocking that's that's not abnormal we've seen him do that before and you almost come to expect it and it's kind of unfair to almost to, to not marvel at it the way that we probably should because that was incredible that moment and, and as much as 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 he had to deal with and and, and uh, you know this is not to say that he didn't appreciate every moment of that trip it's clear that he did but it was also clear once he got to Baltimore God, he needed a couple of days and and yeah he didn't want to come out of the lineup even Tito said that if he came and asked me for a Day, I would appreciate that, and would be willing to give him one? But it would be like trying to, you know, rip the jersey off his back to get him out of the lineup in a in a game in April. He wants to play, but you could see. I mean, the, those couple of days that, that takes your toll on anybody, and I think he handled it just to, just about as well as you could have. Just to see him once he got to Baltimore, because I, I paid attention to this. Yeah, he he walks into the clubhouse and he's eating a meal, and I'm thinking to myself, this is probably this meat and potatoes. For, <laughs> it was probably his first uninterrupted meal in a clubhouse setting in quite some time, where he was just able to just sit there and eat at one point, Encarnacion came over and was giving, giving him some shit in Spanish, and you know, just playing around in the, the locker room. But you know, he just kind of continued eating, went about his normal pregame routine. Got to go out on the field, take infield. One of the games, he went out in the field, and there was some fans, a number of Indians fans actually in Baltimore, so I gave him a nice round of applause. But that was on Sunday. On Friday, like there was, there was no pomp and circumstance when he went out there. And I was, I, I wanted to talk to him just about kind of his day Thursday because they didn't get in until. 7 o'clock Thursday. And we talked to, to GM Mike Ch- uh, Chernoff, and he said, you know, at that point, you don't know if you should go to bed, hm. you should stay up. So I was not surprised when I walked in on Friday, and there was, it was like a zombie-like atmosphere. Like, Jose Ramirez is taking a nap on the couch, and Eric Gonzalez has got his feet propped up listening to music, and at one point Bradley Zimmer just came and plopped down like after a long, hard day's work. This is before the game's happening. Um, and that's for guys that weren't the center of attention in Puerto Rico. So for him to, to be able to kind of Get a, a breath of, of, of air. It was I understood that? That's probably what I needed. So I took. I kept my distance, even though I wanted to ask kind of how things went on Thursday. So. For him, and I think for the entire team, that Baltimore, uh, half of the road trip, Well, everything in Puerto Rico was tremendous, they kind of needed to return to some normalcy. And you saw on Friday probably a little bit of the, the zombie baseball at play. But then you saw them settle in Saturday and play well the rest of the weekend. We saw the starting pitching do what it's done pretty much all year. And the offense is still hit and miss a little bit, but you're seeing some signs. But more than anything, with, with all the rainouts that they've had, and the trip to Puerto Rico, and then coming back another off day, going to Baltimore. They clearly just need, okay, a stretch of baseball here where it's just normal baseball that a team goes through. Because I think it's been difficult on everyone, and Lindor especially.
0: I think Berrios was taking pictures with fans for an hour outside the Twins' clubhouse the day of his start. I mean, these guys are it's it's not hyperbole to say that they're heroes down there. Yeah. So, right. so after the game where Lindor hit the home run, the other Cleveland reporters who were on the trip went to the press conference room knowing Lindor would be there. Um, to their dismay, every question was in Spanish, so they didn't <laughs> get much from it. I went to the clubhouse, I was the only one, and I'm standing there, and Kipnis walks past, and I, and I, and I think I wrote this, but On TV in the clubhouse was a commercial for a car insurance company starring Lindor. Like, this guy is everywhere. And so, it just... And I think I stood in the clubhouse. I was there 20, 30 minutes maybe. I never saw Lindor. Like, he was done in the press conference room and then probably went and um, did stuff with family. Did I know he did... Andre Knott interviewed him. Uh... Uh, local Spanish interviewed him. I think FS1 interviewed Like, he did everything there was to do. And I, I didn't even make it back to the clubhouse to eat his post-game meal or, or just shower, or change, anything for a long time after the game. So... Uh, it's obviously worth it because the Indians won. He played a big role, but uh, it's yeah. It's not surprising
1: that all those guys were pretty pretty wiped out. I mean, especially him. I was just trying to put myself in his shoes because neither one of us, and many people listening, will never go through anything that was even remotely close to that. Closest thing I could come up with is like your wedding day. Yeah. Where by the end of that day you're so mentally drained and you've, you've given everything you can give and you've been thinking about things and it's kind of the culmination of everything and it's tremendous. And then you have to go do it again for a second day. And then at the end of that, you know, I, I would imagine by the third day, as much as you loved your wedding day, you don't want to go do that again a third day in a row. It, it's really, really taxing. And I give him a lot of credit for the way he, that he handled it. And I know there's a lot of fans out there that, you know, are only results oriented and if Lindor goes 0 for four with three strikeouts you don't want to hear that it's an excuse, you know, that he's, that he's tired or anything like that because everybody has things in their life that get them down, and you still have to go out there and do your job. But I think there is an appreciation there for the human element, the human side of this, um, and I, I could not praise him anymore for the way that he kind of handled that. And now they're back home, and when you know it, TARP is on the field, and it's the Chicago Cubs. Chicago Cubs, Cleveland Indians. If we get these games in, of course, that's the first thing. But Do you think it, Jason it, Hayward's it, talking to the Cubs right to, now? Pumping it had them up? to be a rainy day with the Cubs in town. It's kind of unfortunate. Tito talked about it, you know, that it's not going to feel that much different because it's just an April game. This would feel so much cooler if this is July or August or It's September. a joke, by the way, yeah. that this is a Tuesday and Wednesday in mid-April for these two teams to be playing. Yeah, and like, nobody, nobody really is putting... A ton of stock in this. The way that, that it could have been really cool if this was in the the midst of a pennant race where these games really, really, you know, they tangibly matter. In April, they matter, but it's hard to see that when you know you've get, you've played twenty games. Eh, it's a little difficult. Schedule
0: makers are really bad. Like they have their two longest home of the year are the first
1: two home stands. Can you can you? Ex- explain that to me? Uh, yeah, no. I've Every interview I've done, I've brought that up. I have no great answer for that. I'm sorry. And then they're going to play the
0: Cubs here. Then they go to Chicago next month. It's also a Tuesday and Wednesday, a two game set. It's, it's
1: just so. Bleh. It could have been really cool. I mean, this. But the last two World Series have been phenomenal. Great for the game of baseball. To have those two teams matched up in 2016 was as storybook as it could be. I know for Indians fans, it's, it's painful to relive that. But. You could have done some really cool things with this series if it had been a weekend series. And I know it's home and home, so you had to play two games. I, but just April, middle of the week, crappy weather is more than likely in this. I, type I of don't setting. understand
0: the two and two. I, that,
1: that's what do you
0: get out of that? I, I don't know. I don't know but well well cuz you're maybe. right you can't schedule it on a weekend then that's well, why the, the Indians and Reds have been during the week forever now well maybe because it's been two and two which is the dumbest thing ever because you, you they had always drawn well when it was a three game series you'd play three there three here and people would make that drive the attendance would be great even when the teams were terrible and this year they have three
1: and three and both are during the week yeah. It, it it's usually it's frustrating because as a baseball fan you want to see this matchup yeah. and you want to see it like with both teams at their best and set up in such a way where you can get you know some some really good pitching matchups and this is two games and you know teams are coming in doing what they can and you're getting you know Josh Tomlin who's been trying to squeak his way back into the rotation uh, cuz he's you know he had the back issue and there's been rainouts and they've been moving him around Tomlin against Tyler Chatwood on a Tuesday just doesn't seem to have the same sizzle. Unless as... you're an alliteration fan. <laughs> then
0: there but sure so you go. I'm. So I have. We've heard from fans and, and readers who they're still not over the 2016 World Series and they don't want to read about it. They it's going to be difficult to watch these two games. Is that surprising to you to hear, especially after the way? last October went for the Indians against the Yankees?
1: No, I, I don't think that's surprising. And the thing I'm, tr- I'm really trying to do this year, more than any year, is I, I really... Want to stop myself from telling people how to feel about things, mm. and, and it, it's as simple as: should I be concerned about the offense? Or you see people freaking out on Twitter about it? In the past, I would, I would want to jump, jump in and tell people, hey, calm down, because there's these stats here, and I'm still going to give you my opinion on things, and I will tell you, like, just focus on the offense. I will write articles that show you, you know, why maybe the numbers don't match how they're actually performing. I will give you the information, but you draw your own conclusions. If you wanna freak out about that in April, if that's how you wanna spend your time, have at it. I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm not gonna jump in the Twitter mentions with you. If that's how you're dealing with the situation, that's how you're dealing with the situation. It's the same thing for looking back at 2016. I'm not gonna tell people to, to not feel bad about it because they limped in there with two and nine tenths of a starting rotation and that it was an incredible ride and they never should have been there. If If you wanna look back on it and feel bad about it, okay that's that's fine then that's how you're handling the situation for those that want to look at the positives okay then take it for what it is but i'm not going to begrudge anybody that looks back on 2016 and and still is not able to relive it i know some people that still haven't even watched game seven yet you're you know rewatched it or can't watch highlights about it and that's fine you know everyone as a fan has to process this the way that they the way that they do and and I, I I wish everyone could get every bit of enjoyment out of every situation that they can, but that's honestly not how this works. And people are going to feel how they feel about it. For me, looking back, you know, 2016 for us covering it, it was a hell of a lot of fun. You know, just to be able to 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 chronicle that ride that the the Indians were on and the fans got to to live and. And, and thinking back on just how crazy game seven was and the mix of emotions and seeing how people reacted to it i I will forever remember that as as one of the, I, I don't know how much higher you can top that as a, as a writer as a reporter just covering it
0: that month yeah that month is something i'll I don't think any of us will ever forget I know we had a few of us had dinner a couple weeks after game seven and we said. We'll probably never have... What? Why are you laughing? I haven't even said the punchline. I, I'm just... But I can see where this is, whole thing is going. Well, we said we'll, we'll never experience a ride like that, even if they win a World Series. Because it was so... I mean, Boston, they dispatched in three games. The Toronto Series was nuts with the merit and the trash talking and... Bloody um, finger. Yeah. And then, obviously, the, the World Series was classic. And it was, like you said, the storylines were, you couldn't dream that up. So,
1: Kip this going to Chicago, hitting two yeah.
0: bombs. I, I, Tomlin's dad? I mean, it was it was nuts. So, the thing
1: I, and... Do, and, do you remember before you, pref- when they won that game, game five in Toronto, know, we were sitting next to each other. Do you remember what I said to you? You said, man, your hair looks good today. Well, there was that. I I turned and I said, is this effing team, the way that they were set up, are they going to win a World Series? Because, I mean, when they went into the playoffs missing two starting pitchers, and then everything they fought through in the ALCS and how unlikely it was, it was setting up like... Are are we going to see this team that was that would have been so easy to count out go in a World Series? Some Obviously, did count them out. <laughs> I'm not going to bring that up. I think we've ripped him enough on this podcast. Um, Love you, Hoinsey. But it was just so un it was so incredible and so unfathomable that watching it play out every day was just like something shocking. Well, I think it's tough
0: for us to. I guess I can only speak for myself here but you know when you do this long enough you lose and we're both from Cleveland we rooted for the Indians in the 90s when they were so much fun to watch and we have watched Wahoo what a finish more times than we can count. But I wore out the Cleveland Rocks VHS. Ah oh, Cleveland Rocks world champion rocks it, it, it's tough to you. you lose that fanhood and yeah. you become I mean we're baseball fans I remember tweeting after that game. It was the best game I would ever witnessed in person. Game seven, um, and you're rooting for the story. You sure, that fausto Carmona game in 2010 didn't top that. Opening day, when the Indians came back from 14 nothing and only lost 15 to 10. But I, so I went into Game Seven, and I, my story was going to work, win or lose. It was. I had talked to people. All around the organization, um, including there was a guy who was working in in ticket sales department who was also in the military and had been overseas. And like the Indians playoff run was kind of just keeping him sane while he was over there. There was Popper. Who's the press box attendant for the last 30 years? And uh, I knew he was—he was, he was going to retire and call it quits. Game seven was it for him? Um, and, and I just had—I had like a list of people who the run itself meant a lot to, and it was going to work, win or lose. Because if they won, obviously, story writes itself. If they lose. Given what the team had been through and given that no one expected this, it still meant a lot to all those people to be captivated like that for yeah. that month. And so, to me, because that was kind of the the theme I was going for, I, it, it's hard. Like, if I were still an Indians fan, I'd be proud. and prou- It would have bothered me. And I would have been having nightmares about that Kipnis foul ball in the ninth inning. But I don't think... Like, I think I could get over that. Whereas... Fizzling against the Yankees would probably grind my gears to this
1: day. Yeah, I mean, even from our perspective, as fun as 2016 was to cover, 2017 was brutal. I mean, that was as brutal as you can go out considering the 22-game win streak and the way that they went into the postseason. They took a 2-0 lead in that game. You know we're we're rooting for storylines in our position. You know we want to see we want to we want something that's going to make for a really captivating, compelling story. That's what we root for. Um, And Lindor going yard with the grand slam off the pole, and Gomes hitting it down the line. And you know you had in that game you had Gomes and Tomlin coming up big. And I remember I wrote about that because those are two guys that had almost just been forgotten, and they play a huge role in that game. And that's what becomes fun for us to cover. And then those next three games were a giant
0: poop sandwich. Well, even losing in New York. York though it kind of showed because they had the winning streak and it showed that they weren't infallible. Like I, I think that almost helped to an extent. Just these guys are still human. Like it's not going to be a cakewalk to the World Series. And shit, you have a winner go home game against the Yankees with Corey Kluber on the mound. Like that was it was great drama, great theater. But yeah, that was. And and I think the main point I wanted to get at with this topic is. It's fascinating how it shapes the narrative moving forward. I mean, they they lose Game Seven. I think a lot of people were confident just because, okay, well, they'll be healthy next year. They can't be less healthy than they were now. Um, and then they added Encarnacion, and so everyone was everyone was excited about twenty seventeen, and at least until they they were like third, what thirty one and thirty one, and it was like, what, yeah. what's happening here? But but then the losing to the Yankees the way they did, completely. Flipped the script and and I think made people pessimists and, and like now it was like well it doesn't matter what you do from April to October to, to September because you got to prove it in October.
1: Yeah, I mean and, and that's fair and sure I, I understand that from our perspective it makes it tough because that's like saying anything that we do from <laughs> from yeah. from now until October starts is meaningless and I don't believe that. Um, but you need to have. I mean, obviously, patience. It's a the season is
0: six months before you even get to the playoffs. But also, it, I I almost think last season helps us gain perspective. Like, we don't need to be. I mean, I had someone ripping me yesterday on Twitter, asking why, I, telling me I should be asking Tito why Van Berkelio hasn't been fired yet every single day. And it's like, what the the team was ranked in the top three in runs scored each of the last two years. They have proven guys with track records, and yeah, the offense was like really bad for the first two weeks of the season, and it's they've showed signs of getting out of it. And also, it's been three weeks, <laughs> and it's it's 162 games. Like, and what is that going to solve?
1: Yeah, it, it's it really it really solves nothing. It's the same thing. And. It probably even means less, but, I mean, you see football, oh, the defensive coordinator let go, offensive coordinator let go. It's to, to show everyone the pound of flesh to make everyone feel NBA good. head coaches, too. Yeah, like like nothing. And occasionally you get a situation where the players just hate playing for someone so much that the next guy takes over and they go win a championship, down 3-1 in the playoffs. But <laughs> that's so – that's so – very much minute in the outlier um, firing Ty Van Berkelio three weeks into the season On like is, April not, is not going to magically make Jason Kipnis start hitting 300. Right. That's, that's not how this works. And you this know,
0: person also said that Jose Ramirez was swinging for the fences too much. You know, Jose Ramirez, the guy who had three home runs in his last two games, but
1: yeah, I mean, there are things going on offensively, and I've written about this. I I can't write about it anymore because I've written about it so much. I mean, we, we talked to Mike Chernoff in Baltimore for like ten minutes about it, but I've written about it so much, I just I didn't end up using like eighty percent of it. Um, there were there are things going on offensively that they, they they clearly have to fix. Even Jose Ramirez, you know, he was he's got a, a a career low BABIP going on right now, batting average on balls in play. Is it all luck related? No, because there was there were certain things that he was doing in his swing that he was off balance and he was hitting way too many balls popped up in the air and way too many fly balls. There are things within that that he has to fix. But there's also signs of, of reasons to believe why they aren't the worst offensive team in baseball. And we've seen enough just if you just look at track record, you would believe that they're not going to be as bad as they are. And on top of everything, you know, for as bad as the offense has been for pretty much the entire season and the many reasons why that is, they're still on pace for over 97 wins this yeah, year. They're 12
0: and 8 and this is a team that notoriously starts slow. I mean, it took them until August last year to wake up, and it's been. It seems like every year in April they're like, what, like thirteen and fifteen, something like that. I mean, yeah, they're always I mean, playing
1: from behind. I think is the victory as long as you you just don't really stub your toe in the first month. So if you don't, if you put yourself so much behind the eight ball that you're already six seven games back in the division. Poor and Reds. Yeah, it's, that's brutal. Um, but you, I want to. Avoid
0: that. I I, I want to ask you this because we kind of touched on it. Is the rotation with, I think, of the four guys who have pitched consistently. You have 90 seconds before the music
1: at the ballpark starts blaring.
0: (laughs) I'm excusing Tomlin from this because he's pitched nine innings, which is how many innings Clevenger logged on Saturday alone. So the four guys, Trevor Bauer is the highest ERA of 267, I think. bum. Yeah. Uh, But the average of the four is like right around two. And, And so... Is the pitching staff performance closer to what it will be all season? Or is the subpar offensive performance closer to how that will be all season? Which is more realistic? From what we've seen for the first...
1: Uh, the that's, that's a different... You posed it a different way before we started this podcast. How did I pose it? It was something like, which... How do you want to answer it? <laughs> I, I can't remember how... But it's a different thought now. Uh, the pitching is clearly closer to what it, it truly is. Are they going to continue at a sub-2 ERA level? No. No, no, that's not happening. Maybe if they were in the National League, it would. In the American League, with a DH, it, it's not. Uh... The hitting for as bad as they 've been I mean we 've laid out a hundred different reasons why they 're going to be better and we 're seeing that they are better. But are, don't you think all four starting pitchers are going to regress a little bit here? There are, are, there are and things that's that are going to change the whole dynamic? Yeah, I mean, there are things that are going on right now in the pitching that are not going to continue. And, you know, right now they're getting a lot of early contact and they're not striking out as many guys. And, you know, you're seeing some guys go deeper in some games because of that. Which is delaying the whole bullpen mix of
0: yeah, who, sure. who bridges the gap. Yeah, We right. haven't had to figure that out yet because... And it's kept the
1: game times manageable. It has. Except for the five-hour, 16-inning extravaganzas.
0: On getaway day. Uh, 13 innings in Anaheim uh, on getaway
1: day. But I mean, you have to believe that the pitching is closer to being what it is. As opposed to the offense. The offense, there's no... Even if they are middle of the pack this year... They're not the worst offensive team in baseball. They're not, a, they're not in the bottom five offensive club in baseball. There's no reason to believe that. And if you just look at the averages, you're gonna tell me that Lindor is gonna hit 220 all year, even if Edwin Encarnacion has taken a significant step back. He ain't hitting 154, and he's gonna occasionally connect and hit a ball out of the ballpark. And even if he's flat out terrible, is probably gonna excuse you know excuse me swing himself into 25 home runs. So no, I, there's no way I can believe that what they've done offensively is closer to to what they actually are. And, and through that, you're going to get some regression on the pitching side, and you'll get some regression on the hitting side to the mean, and they'll probably still end up being a team that wins close to 60% of their games through the the regression. I think what you hope is the
0: pitching regresses but not a ton, and then the hitting, like you said. I mean, what does Tito always say? What's his favorite line? Oh, boy, guys get to their levels. There it's it is. the damnedest thing. So, in doing that, I mean, let's also keep a little perspective here understand what division they play in yeah this is uh this is played out how we all expected like the White Sox Royals and Tigers if they didn't have to play each other 19 times they all might lose 120 games they're really
1: really bad yeah the Tigers came here and it was brutal the Royals the same thing um it's set up to be exactly what we thought it was going to be. And the Twins haven't I think the the Twins will be better than they have played so far They'll they'll catch fire at some point. They'll get Irvin Santana back too Um, So I, I, I think I still think they are a player as far as the wild card goes But I mean, we talked about it all off-season. It's the reason why you don't panic as much. Here we go. Music time. And it's the reason why this podcast has to end right when it does. (laughs) But I think we're just kind of seeing what we, we kind of expected. And you get there in unusual ways in April, but still... You get uh, you get kind of what you expected.
0: You know, it, it goes back to what you said. You don't want to Jesus, let people in the gates already. <laughs> it, it, you know, you don't want to tell people how to feel. And if people want to uh, pull their hair out over a three, four-week sample size, and by the way, the in-hits are twelve and eight. Like, that's what's wrong with that? Nothing. But they're not. I guess they're not seventeen and four like the Red Sox. That's the issue here. But
1: also, haven't been no hit. That's true. It might happen tonight. I they I were like that. four hit. For the first 11 games of the season. Based on the way that I have uh, influenced things by what I've said and what I've asked players about, they will probably be no hit tonight. (laughs) Um,
0: But it's so early and, like, there's nothing to go off of. But we have to go off something. And and this sport is not conducive to quick reactions. It's not conducive to Twitter. It's not – I mean, and and I think a lot of us know that. But it's – I guess that's kind of what makes it fun too, is because you can say something in April and it's pretty easy to look
1: foolish come June, July, August, Uh, September. You can say something in July, like after a bad trip to Oakland and San Francisco when it looks like the club is dead, And then they can go real off 22 in a row. I mean, that's what makes this game so great and yet so completely ridiculous. Um, And it's why I try to stay away from, if they have a game where they score 10 runs, telling you the offense is fixed and it's the same thing as when they get shut out. I'm not telling you that the end of the world is here. Some perspective helps. And uh, that's why I like what we do at The Athletic because we're not always so reactionary That's why there's
0: more to talk about than
1: just meat and potatoes. Uh, And That's where we'll leave it because it's Taco Tuesday and we've got to go get some food. We appreciate everyone listening this week. To the Selby is Godcast. and we have a a very special guest. As yes, this is the Athletic Cleveland podcast, oh, I didn't realize you guys were podcasting. Yeah, we're podcasting well, here. I'll just I'll just butt in. <laughs> and Sahana, you guys got your your own thing going on over at the Athletic Chicago. You know, you get you guys are the uh, the pioneers. That's over true. There. Yeah, and we're just doing what you're just following your lead over what <laughs> you guys started over there at the Athletic Chicago.
2: Yeah, hardly. I mean, I, I, were you talking about the Athletic general? General, nope. is that what the podcast was? We about, were talking or? Indians baseball. Oh, Tribe, okay. Cubs, I'm sorry, the I totally interrupted. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I, I'm excited to be a part of of a growing establishment, and then we're doing we're doing some fun stuff at the Athletic. And uh, I'll let you guys talk Cleveland Indians baseball, though. I didn't, I had no clue. Uh, you should have a red light somewhere here, so <laughs> that's people the, you gotta, don't gotta look real close. Ah, it's right there. there. That's where it is. But that's what we like doing this podcast here because <laughs> you never know you what's going to come up. <laughs> How many front office people do you just like? Grab randomly and and, and that's what the hope in, is. That's that's why it's <laughs> out here. Okay, not me. That's that I, I screwed things up. probably. <laughs> do you have any plugs? Any, anything you're working over there? For the uh, Athletic Chicago? You know, I'm uh, no, I'm basically <laughs> taking the day off. No, we we uh, we talked about Game Six of the World Series. Actually, uh, big. Uh, everybody talks about Game Seven, but I wrote about Game Six. Uh, Keep in mind, you're
0: talking to Indians fans here. So I know a
2: they PTSD. There they uh, the the Cubs. You know, this is their first time back, I, people were not upset that, uh, I mean, people, Cleveland fans seem to be upset that I wrote that not many people vacation in Cleveland, so nobody on the Cubs had been back to Cleveland since today or since Sunday when they came over so, uh, it, it's not no, it's not a hot spot for Cubs <laughs> players to come during the offseason, but they're back and it's, uh, there was definitely a, they noticed a new carpet in the clubhouse and, and they, they kind of they uh, uh, I'm sure Cleveland Indians fans will be thrilled to hear that they they take credit for the new carpet being in there because they destroyed that carpet or so <laughs> they claim uh, to eight, 18 months ago. But it's a it's a I mean I think both teams have kind of gotten off to slow starts, right? You got the the Cleveland offense has been really. That's, that's what we were talking go. about.
1: You know, for as as bad as they've been offensively, and we we've talked. A million times about all the underlying things that probably don't match up. They're still twelve and eight. You know, yeah. they're still on pace to win ninety-seven games, and right. it's why well, it's ridiculous to react to things too, too severely in April because you know you never know what's going to happen.
2: And it's the same thing in Chicago. They're ten and nine, and they don't look like a team that is is great. But they're ten and nine. So if you play sloppy baseball yeah. early and you can put it together quickly, I mean, they were below five hundred not long ago, and the offense was the worst in baseball, right? Yeah. In right. yeah. And now it's. I mean, I assume I know Jose. Ramon mirrors is on fire, and I assume there's other guys that just click quickly. And it's so ridiculous how we all, I mean, and even I sometimes fall into those traps. I know fans do. And John Lackey used to always tell me if I, if I asked him a question, he's like, fans always he's like fans think it's 162 seasons <laughs> after every game everybody overreacts or underreacts or someone you know is this this guy's hot now or this guy's cold now yeah. so yeah I mean that's the one thing about baseball you can't two three weeks in we, we try and make grand conclusions and it's the, never the, right the more important thing is
1: listeners to this <laughs> podcast know we do occasionally mention hardball dynasty <laughs> and of is now a member of our what, would you call it a cult at this point
2: <laughs> <laughs> our, our, our HBD cult so welcome to the HBD yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm stressed about it daily don't know where where I'm uh, w- what I'm doing exactly but luckily there's some people giving me good advice and, and I'm and I'm finding out figuring things out you guys talk about it like it's a uh, like it's rail sometimes so I'm a little scared about where it's taking me and where I'm gonna have, be headed uh, when my kids will uh, disown me for being an absentee father but <laughs> you know that's I guess that's a life in the HBD
0: the good thing is you have a model for franchise to look up to in your division oh
2: okay i assume that's yours the world champion rocks yeah (laughs) Yeah, you're i noticed that you're already out to hot start my tanking season is going well it's a good, good tank. Nice, slow and steady tank, and uh, hopefully I get that number one draft pick. Well, that's, as people to this podcast, <laughs> listeners
1: know, you know, that's kind of how our league is. It resembles real life baseball, but it's a hot
2: of Sharma doing great work over there at the Athletic Chicago. So thanks for stopping yeah, by. Yeah, well, sorry to interrupt you guys, but uh, you, you guys keep get back to Cleveland baseball, not fantasy baseball, by the way. <laughs> nice to meet you, And we're wrapping things up here. You can subscribe over at the Apple Podcasts.
1: Subscribe, leave us a review, leave us. a uh, some sort of message let us know if you're enjoying the meat and potatoes section of this podcast or if you would like more of our just pure ridiculousness um, and there are a million other ways you can subscribe so go check out the slash cleveland we post the links over there you can follow us on twitter at tj at zach miles you can follow follow all of them there when we tweet out the link any parting words for our listeners this week we've got a meetup coming up i don't know when
0: yeah, there's some talk that it might be moved. And but apparently. like early summer, late spring, uh, subscriber meetup should be fun. Looking forward to that. We'll have details. finally buy you that beer that you've been asking for. Or was it I have to buy them beer? I don't they remember.
1: they give a five-star I review. I don't know. Well, that, that would be your your cue to go leave a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts. And we promise we will see you next week. We're out of here. See you.